Welcome to the 36th episode of Tokenizing Everything, our weekly interview series with thought leaders in the blockchain industry. Today's guest is Edwin Mata, CEO and co-founder at Britain. Before we begin, I have to mention that all opinions are solely personal and do not reflect the opinion of Amazing Blocks or any other involved parties. So it's a pleasure to have you here today, Edwin. How are you? Pretty good. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you for the invitation. I was looking forward to, to being here in the podcast since I've been a listener from previous ones. So thanks for the invite. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to hear that you've already listened to some of the episodes so you know how the, the structure works, right? <laughs> yes. And also the, the, the question at the end is not uh, new to you, maybe. At, no. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Let's let's start maybe by by you giving a brief introduction of who you are and where your background in the blockchain industry comes from. Yes, so basically, uh, I'm a lawyer who started as a corporate lawyer, um, nothing digital until I started understanding what was data protection, and from there I just started guiding myself into technological projects. And based on electronic signature, I ended up in a, doing a project for well, it, it was kind of like how we can apply blockchain to it. So from being a, a fan, like an outsider, just following a couple of cryptocurrencies for fun, I started understanding more on the tech side. And that's when I decided to jump full in with the whole tokenization because I was really, really surprised as to how the, you can break things into smaller parts and still like everything be embedded in a single transaction or a token. So that's how actually I ended up loving the blockchain and I'm here uh, being part of the ecosystem. And I'm loving it actually. Yeah, that's it's good to hear, right? So that you can kind of converge both aspects, the tech side and the law, right? Um, because obviously regulatory topics are quite <laughs> a difficult, uh, yeah, let's say, yes. uh, topic right now at this stage in the space. So let's take one step back before diving really into the blockchain space. Um, you've, you, you, you were a lawyer before you still are a lawyer. What kind of raised your interest in, in pursuing this career in the, in the legal environment? I mean, at the beginning, I was obviously, when you're a lawyer, it's very, um, there's a big hierarchy, you know? kind of like you're a junior lawyer, senior lawyer, partner, maybe an owner. So it's very static, you know? So when you're a lawyer, there's not a lot of movement. I said, maybe you're in a law firm or inside a company. So that was, um, I, I love law and I love the whole ecosystem and how it moves, but I'd rather be on, on, the, on the outskirts, kind of like just supplying a little bit of advice to projects that come, but not, I don't think I'm ever going to go back to that structure because, I mean, in the end, when you start touching technology, also you start understanding other things. So it's kind of like uh, everything is simpler with technology. And I mean, right now there's even new fields, new jobs positions and everything but in, a, in the law wise it's always kind of like very very static still and i mean and in the end we can understand how static is because we are the ones creating regulatory aspects or establishing how things can happen and sometimes that feel that ecosystem does not know how to treat the new technologies or the new business models and we try to be more pre, uh, reactive than preventive when I think it's the opposite, you know, kind of like we should be feeding the allowing the, the whole technology to be running on a secure base that is legal. And, and, and I mean, and that's how I see it. I mean, that, that's the system right now. I think it's very diverged and there's a big line in the middle 
that does not allow both worlds to be converging. It's slow in it's slowly it's emerging. I mean, there are very good lawyers out there and very good law firms, but I think there's still a lot of work to do because let's say like not even half half of the lawyers understand a single word of tech and we use technology absolutely for everything. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. And um, here it's going to be interesting to see how this whole legal tech sector kind of plays out in the future because already there's projects also that focus on AI's kind of screening contracts and aspects like this. So I think there's a lot to come for the sector. So it's definitely good to be on the, the tech side of this <laughs> industry, definitely. right? <laughs> Cool. Um, in, in regards to the, the influence that blockchain in general and, uh, you know, in associated innovations such as smart contracts have on the, on the legal environment, what do you see as the biggest impact on that side? Because some people feel like, okay, you know, are smart contracts going to jettison lawyers, right? <laughs> and, and then aspects like this. Um, there's also innovative tools such as open law, which, which I find quite interesting. Yes. So what is your take on how you know, the future of the, uh, you know, legal space will look like with uh, technologies such as blockchain kind of disrupting it? Uh, I mean, definitely by far, just what smart contracts brought to the to the system was full-on optimization. I mean, you, but here it gets a little bit complex. The, when you have a contract, there's a lot of subjective clauses that you cannot automize or codify. So in the sense, lawyers are always going to be needed because that regulation or that aspects cannot be embedded in the code. I mean, at least not yet, because subjective, subjectively, we wouldn't even understand how to code it. So lawyers are always going to be needed. Smart contracts or technology is not going to supply until there's a artificial intelligence that understands how people think or feel or whatever. But until that point, there's always going to be a person that has to say, hey, these parties are looking forward to this relationship. We should code it like this. And then everything else that is objective or that has a number, or has a value, or has a uh, correlation between point A and B, that can actually be coded into a smart contract. So in the end, all everything that is smart contract, automations or whatever, it's going to help um, this ecosystem of legality I and mean, not, not just the lawyer but even the regulatory aspects the public administration i mean it's it's just it's just a tool it's, it's it, i don't think it should be seen as um, that it's gonna become them it's gonna help them become better you know so in that sense uh, the, i think it's crucial that technology keeps evolving to the to how it is going and I think now the, the barrier that has to be broken is how the user experiences, because lawyers, if not everybody is to the level of technology needing to understand a smart contract, then that's the pain, you know, kind of like that's the, the added value that has to be brought by the blockchain, how to, if it's hard already to make it easy for the normal user who enters the blockchain, we have to think it might be a little bit harder even for other people that in their day to the day, they have no access to technology because they don't need it. They don't want it. I mean, so bringing them the customer journey that they facilitates the use of this technology. I mean, that's when we're going to boost the adoption of the law creators, the law users and all this ecosystem that's still a couple of years behind the normal user that uses blockchain or machine learning, which in the day to day, they're so used to this technology it's not new mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely i think it's it's probably going to be a complementary evolution right of on the one hand the technology which keeps enhancing and on the other hand also the lawyers adopting the innovations gradually 
Um, maybe not always they want to, but <laughs> at some point uh, one has to, right? Um, so it's going to be interesting to follow this this path. Yes. In regard to your own uh, blockchain journey, would you just say that there was some sort of special wow moment that really made you realize about the like realize the vast potential of this industry, or was it more of a gradual process in regards to really becoming a blockchain enthusiast, so to say, from your end? I mean, I I did end up with the smart contracts. I was doing electronic signature solutions and identities. So when we when we started analyzing from an RID uh, department that I was seeing both, and then we started analyzing how the smart contract can facilitate uh, access because at the end it's an open database that you can shoot information. It's an open API that you can get information back and forth. I mean, I was really surprised at how easy uh, smart contracts can be because there's not a single data point entry. So with that in hand, I was very surprised as to how easy it can be like a single person can choose and decide what to show, when to show, who to show. And I mean, that's the purity of the decentralization. You don't even have to ask no more Google to log in into your LinkedIn or ask some other platform and they choose your LinkedIn or Google. I mean, that's a single point data, data provider. But now with the whole, that's, that's how I started entering the, the blockchain. And then afterwards with the whole breaking down, I mean, since everything can be digitized um, just the sense that the, a property and assets, uh, we see it in the physical world that it's fungible and we can touch it, we can carry out. I mean, that's just uh, an old thought because now with the new thoughts in digital, we don't have a sense of how it feels, what is the weight, but we can even break it down into smaller parts. So that's really when I entered like big time, like the blockchain space and started learning about tokenizations on different aspects and then when i enter into the tokenization assets i was like this is the future i mean people don't know don't people can't own right now as in the past because obviously money right now is worth less every year is less banks give us less money so in the sense uh, just having access to whatever piece of ownership or passive income that we can get i mean it's already crucial for for everyone you know so in, in that sense, that's when I really entered and I was like, I need to enter this space into organization and, and feel it from the inside, kind of like when you're an outsider, you read and you understand what it's like, the, the, the utopic kind of feel, like everybody's gonna become owner of everything and every, the whole world's gonna just democratize itself. And I mean, yes, in some sense, but once you enter, you start understanding all the like the complexity. That that's the journey that here in Breaking we're trying to do. Obviously, you in Amazing Blocks is kind of like we are starting a new field and we're starting a new possibility for everyone. And it's just now how we can make it easier and easier for for everyone. So so in the end, it's also about the customer journey, the experience to to mass adopt this new business model for everyone. Yeah, definitely. And I think you mentioned a very interesting point kind of slightly there in regards to the inflation, right? And where, so to say, investing into digital assets provides much more or much more enhanced diversification methods. So what, what would you generally single out as the three most, let's say, crucial aspects in terms of how, let's say, yeah, security tokens in regards to tokenizing different reward assets can protect yourself against uh, inflation? Which aspects would you kind of single out on that regard? 
I mean, one of the ones you said, uh, diversification. I mean, right now we diversify our portfolios based on stocks or crypto markets. And there are other ones out there that people don't even know. I mean, you can invest in bonds, you can invest in debt. And it, it just sounds like, yeah, they do it, the fund managers or the hedge funds or the VCs, but it's like, hey, we can access those if we want it. I mean, that's the methodology behind tokenization, bringing those kind of assets into the mass adoption of the retail market. So in that sense, uh, diversification is crucial. Access, I would say second, because we reducing the barriers. Um, many of the, of the financial products that we can tokenize are usually handled by institutional players, uh, qualified investors. Uh, they have a deep knowledge. I mean, that's why they don't want the retail because that's, that's the better, more stable product. Uh, there's some riskier products, I would even call it stocks are risky. Crypto, we know, uh, can be very fun, can be very uh, stressful. But all those other products that are more stable with uh, interest rates that are might not, you don't need to be a millionaire. You need to make yourself, like every year you're making money, passive money. So if you have a rentability of 5 to 10%, Jesus Christ, that's good. I mean, it, I think that's the access to these financial products that are more stable and safe. I mean, nothing is safe, but still it's safer than all those mechanisms that people are jumping in. And other and in, and in access, I would say information uh, or possibility, you know, kind of like uh, they all combine. But the third aspect is just like just being possible of uh, being able to. I mean, that's 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 a, a very interesting thought of mine because that changes how people see investments, you know, kind of like if we see in the movies that only the suit guy is the one that used to go to Wall Street and sell stocks, I mean, that's completely irrelevant right now. I mean, anybody in a t-shirt can create their own portfolio with little money and start moving it around and then see where they become more profitable. So in the end, this is what the business journey, the world that customer journey that we're trying to be engaged to, kind of like allowing anybody to be the Wall Street guys, because we are breaking all these barriers that that are not needed anymore. Yeah, I mean, it is eventually the democratization of finance, right? And and, and one of the core, I'd say, benefits that blockchain generally inherits in regards to sectors that it disrupts. So, you know, let's let's talk a bit about Bricken. So, can you give us like an overview of what is Bricken and also maybe some of the recent updates? Uh, of, of, of the things that are going on at, at Bricken in general? Yes. Uh, so, I mean, basically, Bricken is a tokenization platform. We can digitize any kind of financial instrument. Uh, we can call it debt, shares, uh, bonds, whatever. I mean, it's a representation of any asset. So in that sense, what we do is just digitize all these real physical assets. We, and then we bring them on chain. But before we bring them on chain, we break it down and then just allow people to invest in these new assets. And that's, uh, I mean, in the broad sense, that is a tokenization platform. I mean, we are, there are very good players in Europe, very, very good players in USA, and we're all bringing all this technology to the sector. So us in Britain, we are trying to bring that to Spain, also with our language, mother, uh, mother language, to Latin America, which is a very nice uh, market right now that is quickly evolving. So in that sense, that's what we see uh, as Rick and just uh, uh, an enabler uh, and a breaker. We enable investments and we break those assets so we can combine those things. So, that, I mean, that's the vision behind Rick. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. And 
Um, currently, you are running on a, on a private blockchain initially, but you're now in a transitionary phase in regards to developing a DAP, right? So could you maybe give us some, some insights as to what is going to happen on September 1st and uh, you know how this process so far has been for you guys? Yes, thank you. Uh, so basically, we started being centralized. I mean, uh, we, we were managing the client uh, on the 360. We were supplying the technology, the, the, the tokenomics, the legal, whatever, the 360. So we were acting more of a consultancy firm than a, than a tech supplier. So our, uh, our scaling up was getting complicated because uh, we were doing like one to two months or even three months with some clients kind of like tokenizing. That's not scalable. But we did see in the back the need for people to do it. It's just like right now they don't have the tools or even they cannot access those tools. So we thought about doing the, 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 the DAP, kind of like we are creating a protocol and it's going to be a platform that anybody can just grab it and then they can shoot their own STOs and then we become a real tech supplier, which is which is our goal. I, I mean, I'm a lawyer. Like and I, when I started the podcast, I was saying I don't want to be a consultant like that. That's why I entered the tech, but I was getting pulled back with my team into that consultancy. And that's why we just want to break it and then say, hey, guys, there is a tech that's going to run with this protocol, with the smart contracts, and it's going to allow you to do these things. And the regulatory is going to be embedded inside the protocol. It's going to be, let's say, the most safest thing who have used an, an issue on STO. There are still some things that you have to see on your side, but I don't have to be involved. I don't want to be the intermediary. So that's the vision behind uh, what we call Inside Recon 2.0, which is uh, completely decentralized protocol. And the protocol itself, kind of like every blockchain protocol runs, Ethereum uh, being one, of course. Uh, we have developed a utility token that's going to be paying the protocol to be able to shoot the STOs. And again, that token itself being a utility has embedded some other technicality and legality that's going to help us create this environment of a person, uh, let's say, call it Chile. It's going to grab the pro protocol itself and be able to shoot their own STOs without having to rely on Bricken or what we call the centralized. So we ended up entering the system too centralized, and now we're fully engaging into a whole fully decentralized system where Bricken is just uh, an open source. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting and good journey i think that you're on um so props to you in regards to making this kind of uh, transition i think it's definitely going to have a lot of benefits and then you will be fully running on ethereum only or do you also consider other let's say layer two solutions um for the world in the future yes uh, i mean in in the beginning we're going to run ethereum uh, our cto uh, he is uh, an ethereum fan like he don't talk about other protocols he's just full on ethereum but we are obviously in the in the MVP phase, so it's going to be an Ethereum. We're uh, well. I mean, there's a big right now uh, buzz behind BNV. Uh, it's almost the same as Ethereum. It's cheaper. We, we we I have some. I think it's a little bit too centralized. So there's some weird things there, but we have to use it because in the end, if we want to fully be agnostic and don't tell the client how it has to be, we have to allow him for him to choose how he how it's going to be. So right now, first matter of business is running on Ethereum, next probably Binance. And I'm pursuing some other, or we're gonna try to pursue some other chains that I really think are more suitable for STOs, 
For example, I really like uh, Tesos, um, an algorithm with the proof state. And I think um, just, I mean, in, in the in the sense, blockchains has to be like, who's your tech provider? Who's your mobile? I mean, you're going to ranch, Vodafone. I mean, you, we, it has to be all like, I'm going to choose just one just because I like it. Or it has one little percent better, but in the end, it's it's almost the same. You're gonna be able to make a call. So in that sense, STOs is like, yeah, you have a preference, choose it. But the STO is gonna occur the same in every chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially from a logic standpoint, right? So yeah, I fully with, uh, fully agree with you. And in gen general, you know, fostering interoperability, interoperability is really a, a key in the future. So yes. let's. Let's uh, you know focus a bit also on on the topic of Spain and, and tokenization. So, what would you describe as kind of the currently most interesting, let's say, endeavors in general in Spain in regards to blockchain adoption and um, digital securities? I think Spain is uh, passing through a through an evolution phase in the sense that they were quite restrictive as to establishing that every crypto related was something they didn't like. Because we understood, I mean, 2017, the big crash, people left, but it was easy for the governments or institutions to say it is bad because the crash and it's a scam. You know, sometimes what you don't understand, it's easier just to neglect. But in that sense, right now, I think uh, they're pursuing uh, knowledge. They're trying to have these uh, initiatives to get certain uh, information from the providers. They created a Spanish sandbox, a lot of blockchain projects got inside, even tokenization. Um, and, and in that sense, I think they're, they're trying to understand what is happening because they finally came to know that it's an unstoppable force. The countries around us are doing things way better than in Spain. I mean, we know, uh, ever since that conversation, I. I'm a fan completely. I mean, na digitally native, you can create a company that is already tokenized from its incorporation. That's brutal. In Spain, you have to go through all these physical processes and physical barriers that it's not efficient. But also the Spanish government is understanding. Now they're going to change their, their, now you can create a, a they're, they're pursuing that you can create a, a, a company digitally that you don't even have to go to the notary so in that sense the the digitalization process that they were scared of just because the the, the decision makers did not have access to this technology or they didn't want to have access because they have other worries that they i understand i mean spain is a big country are they going to worry first of technology or the well-being of the citizens because they have poverty and they have all these things that they are priorities but now i think they can understand it that both are combined kind of like if you use tech maybe some of these pains that you're trying to solve are going to solve by themselves i mean if you allow people to create companies in a matter of minutes then you're going we're going to allow people to create jobs to go into looking for investments in europe or outside so the whole process from the institution it's 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 evolving are we slow yes it's super slow but every single step that we take in the right direction is going to allow us to engage into that fully digitalization journey for job creation, for company creation, for everything. So I think uh, personally, I know a lot of people in Spain are not happy with it, but you have to take what you get, you know, and right now I think we are getting in the good steps and STOs are legal in Spain. That for me, it's already a huge step. Mm -hmm. 
That is definitely true. I think it's at least a step into the right direction, right? So in general, like at this stage, I would also like to ask one of the being crypto community questions, right? Um, they also kind of focus on this topic. And um, one of this week's questions was like, how do you expect Mika and the respective regulations to influence the, um, you know, let's say Spanish crypto ecosystem? Do you think it's going to be in a positive or negative or neutral way? What is your take on that? I mean, I think in, in the end, it's going to affect us all European countries are the same because it's a regulation. So we can't modify what's inside. So the outcome of it is who's going to adopt it quicker. Who, which country before it becomes fully valid is the one pursuing like the, I'm going to start first because mm, there's a lot of capital in the back. I mean, that should be the pursuit. With how it's Spain is done, Unfortunately, uh, even though we're taking steps in the right direction, we're still too slow. Um, we're a turtle compared to other countries. Mika, uh, it happened with other regulations that we were too late to adopt and other countries started offering better products and services. So Mika is going to allow us to play in the same field as other countries, but we're going to, th I think personally, that we're going to play a little bit too late. And now with the whole technology and blockchain, you don't need to be in a single country to, to, to create a product or services or even your employees. So in that sense, uh, I think if we're not quick enough, we're going to lose a big, big chance because even though Mika puts a lot of pressure on the crypto assets and everything, it's the first time that the government is acknowledging that crypto assets have a different kind of perspective, legal perspective. And that is huge. We don't have to play anymore on the ground. We can be outside in the sunshine saying, hey, I got crypto assets. This is how it's going to be played. The government is behind me. So security, legal security in the end is what allows mass adoption. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely true. And in regards to, you know, maybe a question on the side here, in regards to Mika, did you, when, when did, you know, kind of creating the tokenomics for your uh, the Bricken token, I hope that's the correct name, right? Yeah. Um, did you consider Mika? What, what were the kind of aspects along this path that you needed to consider to make this uh, compliant utility token with Mika? Yes, actually, uh, uh, we're putting a little bit of pain on, on not on our tokenomic sides, on our buyer sides. So our private sale is going to be whitelisted before through a KYC. Back in the day, you can do an ICO and then in the internet, you just put your MetaMask and then you receive your coin and that's it. Nobody has to know. But now knowing what is coming in, in Europe, I think we're going to pursue that. Are we going to do stoppers? If somebody wants to buy your coin, they don't need to hide. You know, kind of like if I believe in the project, I'm going to pass the KYC because I still want to make a profit out of the coin or I'm just going to use it for whatever. So we are slowing down maybe the, the private sale process. But in the end, we're also going to be able to talk with any regulatory. And if they should, uh, I don't know, like, hey, an opinion and say, like, hey, a consultation to us, it's like, pass me all your buyers. I don't want to be in, in the middle and say, like, yeah, I have no clue who my buyer is. And they'll be like, oh, AML. Do you know what's AML? And I'll be like, yeah, I'm packing my bags and running to Mexico because I just really ruined the system here. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of aspects to look at. I think also one is that, you know, what I heard from a tax advisor to also just send the white paper to the regulators and then kind of, you know, show that good faith. Yeah. <laughs> is important. But there's, uh, there's more like precautionary measures you can take, but there's not like a 100% degree of like security, I would say, right. I also experienced that with 
other utility token projects that I'm kind of consulting here and there on the side a bit that also have uh, some some issues in these regards. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the future. But um, coming to the the later stage of the conversation, um, maybe another question I would like to ask you is, is generally, what do you think will be the most, let's say, impactful um, tokenization use case or the most interesting tokenization use case maybe for Spain in general, apart from, you know, the typical equity or bond tokenization use cases, which are probably going to be, you know, uh, utilized or also utility tokens, which are probably going to be around a lot, but maybe there's some niche use cases that you see for the Spanish market where it could really kind of uh, make a difference? Yeah. So um, I'm going to say real estate. I didn't want to say real estate because everybody's focused on real estate, but Spain it's super heavily on real estate. Like uh, one of the biggest crash was with real estate. So right now there's a lot of uh, illiquid assets out there that don't hold because that the, the sellers don't have access to the retail and they can't uh, start moving that. So I think every country has to look as to what is their biggest assets and what is their biggest illiquid assets. Well, that's what they should be tokenizing. So in the case of Spain, I don't want to say real estate because in the end, it's, it's the prime like uh, tokenization example. But in, in Spain, it does make sense. I mean, there's so many buildings, so much infrastructure that it's not even right now exploited because even the creators ran out of money or they don't even know how to put it. So there's an opportunity there to bring the retail and see if they can start moving the, the, the ball again. It, it's not like they're, they're going to take down or tear down the buildings that they already built. So in that sense, real estate still pursuing. And in the other, also equity, why? Because it's really hard to get money in Spain. Uh, they, the access to, to loans, even if you want to go for a bank or subsidies, it's, it's a hard process. And, and again, I mean, right now there's some crowdfunding platforms trying to engage with the Spanish ecosystem, but they, 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 it's not so well as, for example, Crowdcube in UK, where it's like just massive one day and you have like millions on online shares. Here in Spain, it's still too slow. So those two things that actually are the main power of Spain on, 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 the, on the production phase without taking into consideration tourism, but like on a business side, I mean, those things I think should be tokenized because it will allow all this retail pool to enter. And if not, it's going to be on hold, which is happening right now. We got frozen assets that I'm, I live in Barcelona. Um, it's super packed, a lot of buildings, they keep building, but I'm already hearing kind of like problems in selling. And it's like, yeah, uh, we have to change the business model. One buyer, one seller, it's going to die soon because we're like 6 billion people in the, in, in the world and we're trying to just focus on one buyer. So that I think those things might change soon. I'm, I'm hoping for, of course, obviously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think real estate is definitely one of the most suspicious use cases in general, right? So yeah, um, a, a good example at that uh, point. So, you know, coming to the, to the end of today's conversation, there's, uh, um, as already expected, the, the final question I have for you. And uh, obviously it is, surprise, surprise, where do you see blockchain in 10 years from now? Yes. So people in the blockchain, please don't kill me. I think in 10 years, we're not going to talk anymore about blockchain. Why is that? Because it just became natural. We're not going to say, oh, this runs a blockchain. Oh, they have blockchain project. It's going to be, I have a project and it's running on new other technology, quantum. But blockchain is going to be already embedded. 
So I'm hoping that the conversation or specialization kind of like uh, I'm into blockchain in 10 years from now, people are going to say like, oh, these guys are talking like the 56K modem connection. <laughs> kind of like it's old school. So I, I'm hoping for that. Kind of like it got so adopted that the war itself just came to be uh, in, in a class that they say, yeah, blockchain technology. You have decentralized data servers that run or whatever, and then people might choose. So the specialization, if if it becomes really mass adopted, then mm -hmm. it's no longer specialized. We'll we'll see newer layers of technology, and maybe we'll see like blockchain turn into quantum chain or whatever. <laughs> kind of like it allows to get new new technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a a good closing word, right? That it will be kind of just a natural process of integrating it into our everyday lives so thanks Edmund for this insightful conversation it was really a pleasure to have you on the show and um, I hope to, to have you back uh, soon thank you very much for the invitation Nicholas hope everything is well yes thanks so much and uh, to our listeners as always thank, um, thank you for tuning in whether it was on the, the live show on Apple Spotify or YouTube as always if you have any questions I think in regards to tokenization the legal aspects and especially a focus on Spain feel free to reach out to Edwin and if you have any gen general tokenization or blockchain related questions you can always reach out to myself or anyone else from Amazing Blocks thank you and see you guys next week bye bye